In a land far away, once upon a time, Brendan, Vicky B, partners in crime. We danced through life like, like a couple of gays. But as time went by, we went our separate ways. Now we're back together, talking about whatever, talking about the music that, that we, we love forever. Hooking you up like a telephone jack. Everybody listen up, we're getting back on track. Hey everybody, welcome to Back on Track. Hello listeners, this is Miss Vicky B. Hey, and it's Brendan. You're here with us, Back on Track. It's your one-stop LGBT shop for the ultimate <laughs> mixtape fabulousness. That's right. Oh, I love it. Um, how's it going? It's going really good. It's yeah. been a long time since we've seen each other. I know, I know. But um, we've upgraded today. I know. We've, we're have we in our now, our fully soundproof studio booth. We've got the egg crates on the walls. No interruptions. No taboos. <laughs> we won't. Um, <laughs> we won't describe the rest of the scene. It's a little. Um, it's a little crammed, and I'm a little sweaty already. So, but I'm loving it. I'm loving it. So, too. what are we going to talk about today? Today we're going to the movies. Have you seen any good movies lately, Brendan? Oh, um, have I seen any good movies lately? You know, I missed the opportunity to see a really good movie this week. Um, my brother had invited me to go see Carol. I don't know if you've heard of that film no. coming out. Kate Blanchett. It. It's supposed to be a smash. It's supposed to be beautiful. I love Kate. Blanchett, did you ever see Notes on a Scandal? Of course. Oh my God, with Dame Judi Dench. It's that's a stunning film and an LGBT moment too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Recently, I saw um, Crimson Peak. Oh, the new uh, is that a G- horror movie? Guillermo del Toro movie. Oh, it, it's right. slightly horror. It's more like gothic romantic. It's very in the spirit of Bram Stoker's Dracula. Right, right, right. Like where it's it's beautiful and it's gory. <laughs> but but it's romantic and just yeah. I felt like great. people I know who kept seeing it kept telling me they were uh, you know going to see Crimson Tide. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Crimson no, Tide. I don't think so. No, honey. Well, I mean there is a little bit of that kind of energy in oh, there, okay. and there's also a little bit of like incest drama. And but I mean this is the guy who wow. directed uh, Pan's Labyrinth. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean it just like really heart wrenching, powerful. Um, imagery and yeah I had a great time you know and that's what's so awesome about what you know you can do with film that you can't really do with anything else is you know you can hit people in in, in really awesome ways Uh, and the other thing I think that's movies are really magical. Um, and, you know, I was wondering, you know, I have these amazing memories of being in different theaters, but is there a is there a movie theater that just, you know, makes you feel like, you know, you're right back at home or that really swept you off your, mm. uh, swept off your feet the wrong well, word? Well, okay, so <laughs> I grew up, I grew up in Springfield, Massachusetts, which is like, everybody knows Boston, Massachusetts, but Springfield, Massachusetts is like Western Massachusetts, um, large metropolitan area. And there was a club there. Well, it's not a club anymore, but it was a theater. It was called the Hippodrome. Um, so it was like one of those big old style theaters where they did everything. They did the movies, you know, mm-hmm. way back, way back when. And then they still like, I remember as a kid going to see Sesame Street live there. Oh, wow. And, you know, they had like the, you know, the grand staircases and the velvet curtains and everything. And it was such was a... Was there a balcony? Magic. Yeah, balcony. Yeah. I mean, that's where I always Don't saw Don't you just things. love a balcony? I love a, a good balcony, darling. Right. <laughs> Especially front row seat. Do you remember? Yes. You know, front row center of a mezzanine of a balcony. That is my favorite place to... To be Holla, always. Holla. So you were talking about how uh, movies can really hit you over the head, I and mean, we were talking about visually, I believe. But there's also <laughs> like the movie, the soundtracks. I mean, the, what yes. do you remember about the exactly. movie? The swelling. The of course, you know. that's what we're talking about today. Yeah, there's something where you can have this iconic movie, and um, and and the drama is on point, and then all of a sudden, you know, the right score, the right sound, the right, you know. Uh, Vibe comes underneath, yes, and all of a sudden it just amps the emotion up, it amps up the symbolism, the feeling, it's... It's just a magical thing. Yeah, and it can also like recontextualize what we're seeing, right? I mean, no sometimes kidding. you can pull in a track from totally out of the era, totally, totally left field, and it can say something that that all of a sudden changes what we're looking at. Oh you my know, gosh! Like a, like a remix, you know? Did you ever see the Crying Game? Oh my God! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you imagine without that song? I mean, that totally. it's. I feel like the punctuation mark just. <laughs> that's a funny way of saying it, but um, wouldn't have existed. Uh, Is that your first track? No. What, so what's I just your first bring track? It up. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so the first track I wanted to bring up is um, You Don't Own Me by Miss Leslie Gore. All 
All right, so we're starting off with a 1960s classic. Yep. Lots of movies that this movie that this song appeared in, right? Yeah, this this song's been in a lot of movies, um, and there's a couple that are my favorite. I think a lot of people um, know it, at least amongst our crew, um, from First Wives Club. Mm-hmm. It famously performed at the end of the movie by that Nether Golden Pond, Diane Keaton. Um, I don't. I think there's been just one million versions of reinterpretations of that last scene. Totally. Because um, it is so much. It's so much fun, and it's this empowerment. You know, uh, fu moment, and um, it's so great. But it has a lot more history to it. Um, it also appeared in Dirty Dancing. Yeah. It also appeared in Hairspray by John Waters. And Hairspray was, you know, when I was a kid, I think that that was one of the first John Waters movies I saw because it was a little bit more uh, appropriate. Of yeah, all mainstream. His, yeah, too. it's most accessible of his accessible. That and um, Serial Mom too. Serial Mom is really big. Right, that's a little less appropriate. Right, right. <laughs> the children. It's a little more explicit. Um, but so anyway. I like it. Tell me so, why you like it. Yeah, it's just, you know what, it's got this great um, nostalgic vibe. I think that's the other thing that we love to talk about on this show. And um, you hear that those 60s um, melodies come in and then the voice of Leslie Gore. It's also been covered by, you know, faves of mine like Dusty Spring. Springfield and a whole bunch of others. Um, And, you know, it's this moment where when you contextualize in what was happening with, you know, feminism and and civil rights going on, and it ends up being this real, you know, self-empowerment moment. And um, I don't know. I just, I identified it with it, you know, at a very young age, and I think it's great. Totally. Well, it's so cool. It's interesting that you mentioned that it had a lot to do with, like, female empowerment. I, As I was researching, as I was reading about this, I, I found out that it was written by two Philadelphia songwriters, Philly, again, yeah. John Madeira and David White. So mm-hmm. the irony of one of, like, the biggest, most resounding female empowerment anthems happened to have been written by two men. I think that's really interesting. Well, <laughs> isn't always the case. I know, right? I know. But yeah, Dirty Dancing, iconic movie with Patrick Swayze and Jennifer Grey. I it, I miss her old face. Yeah. I feel like we could have had so much more from her. <laughs> just, um, with, just if she hadn't changed the face? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. What happened to Jennifer yeah. Grey? Didn't you love... Weren't we all baby in that movie? Absolutely. It's interesting. But, you know, speaking of queer connections, you know, she was, uh, you know, the kid of a, of a closeted gay man. And I oh, wonder wow. what that was like, you I know? I didn't know that. Well, Joel Grey. Oh, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, okay, now all of a sudden everything is making sense. Yeah. Oh, man. So, you know, I, I mean... I think it was probably a really interesting Hollywood, you know, experience to sort of grow up um, in that world and then to also probably have some family secrets that maybe weren't so secret, but to have to carry that burden. And I'm not saying that's why she changed her face, but (laughs) (laughs) but I think the ripples, you know. Totally. The ripples happen. Totally. And then you also mentioned Hairspray, which I love. Yeah, Ricky Lake. Oh, my mm-hmm. gosh. And well, and John Waters. I mean, everything that he does is LGBT relevant. Oh, well. You know what I mean? And Divine yeah. starring And it's queer. It. It's punk. It's queer. Totally it's, queer. Yeah. Totally making fun of stereotypes and archetypes and taking us and society and racism there and making it just look ridiculous. I mean, he is camp. Yeah. I mean, if everyone wants to like, ask what definitions of camp are, I mean, he nails it. You know, another thing that I found out as I was researching all this, do you remember Amber Von Tussle in that movie? Uh, yeah. That was vitamin C. Do you oh, know vitamin really? C? Yeah. Wait. Amber Von Tussle grew from the eight, 1980s yeah. hairspray grew up to be vitamin C. That's so strange. Isn't that crazy? I <laughs> yeah. mean, like, maybe, like, our listeners can fact check us on that. But, I mean, I confirmed via Wikipedia that vitamin C That's is That's our Amber only Von source Tussle. here. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> so there you go. There's another one. And then also First Wives. I mean, who can forget? First of all, all of the moments in First Wives and all of the gay relevant people, Maggie Smith. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, Duardo Feliz. Oh, my. You know, and Bronson Pinchot. A genius. A genius, a genius a darling, a gem. <laughs> and I mean, like, okay, and Balky from Perfect Strangers, who's basically made his life on playing, like, a, a pseudo-gay character, you know, and everything that he's ever done. And then you've got, you know, you've got Goldie Hawn's lips. You know what I mean? You also you have Victor Garber. Sarah Jessica Can't Parker. About him. Stockard Channing. I mean, like, that was an incredible knockdown drag out gay to hell movie. I mean, it was awesome. Yeah, it was awesome. And, you know, they've tried to bring it into a, you know, a stage show. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, really? Yeah, they've tried to make a, you know, like a Motown-ish, um, Motown vibe. Not well, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that. I think it, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm a bad, I'm a bad uh, show tune lover right now because I can't give you the, the facts on that one. But I know it's already workshopped or done its, you know, 
um, out of town somewhere. Right on. Well, and can I drop one of mine while we're do at it. it? All right. I'm going to start all the way back in my childhood. Okay. My first one is Nothing's Gonna Stop Us Now oh uh, by gosh. Starship from Mannequin. Yes. Yes. Another Philadelphia reference. I love Philadelphia, and one of the things that I love the most about it was that my childhood favorite movie, Mannequin, was shot in what is now the Macy's Building, right up there on the corner. But of when market. we were there, right? Yeah, when we were there, it was Lord Lord and Taylor. It was Lord and Taylor. Yeah, yeah. And even before then, I think it was like something like Wanamakers or something yeah. like that. It was something else. Did you know that that was the um, department store when you like went to school when you got to Philly? Not fully. I don't think I fully connected it. I don't think I fully made the connection until like the first time I went in there right? and then I put the pieces together right? and I looked up and I was like yes. oh my god Emma Hesare is going to be coming she's going to be hang gliding like by the you know the big giant organ oh, oh my, my god, god that organ I know I remember walking in having the same reaction of being like Oh my God, this is it. I want to die in that building. I want to die in that building. Okay, and then also watching that movie and seeing like Rittenhouse Square and all of the storefronts and things like that. Anyway, I love, how can you not love that song? An 80s aficionado friend of mine, he loves uh, dance music and and, um, um, freestyle and things like that. Him and his partner, that was the the song that they danced to together for their wedding. It's a big 80s mixtape wedding. I know, and it was so touching. And it's just like, um, a number one, that song, Grace Slick held the record for the uh, the oldest female on a pop vocal track up until Cher's Believe took I over. I saw that. But I think yeah. that's so awesome. Isn't that pretty kick-ass? Yeah, it's She's real kick-ass. Awesome. So Starship, I guess, was the sort of new incarnation of Jefferson. It was Jefferson Airplane, and then it was Jefferson Starship, and then it turned into Starship. Um, and I guess I guess shortly after that she left and Starship kind of carried on. But I love that whole phase that they went through in the '80s with all of those pop ballads like Sarah mm, um, and uh-huh. we built we built this city, right? Of course, like just like to- like right in the thick of all that '80s like over extravagant synth. Isn't it funny how it's like locked in time? Those Absolutely. songs. I mean, there's that is not um, timeless. Well, <laughs> it's, no, it's true. Well, in 1987, and um, I lo- I don't know. I love 1987. I was four years old in 1987. <laughs> so maybe this is why I have like the nostalgic connection but like everything that came out during that time like who's that girl mm-hmm. you know what I mean that really mm-hmm. really really like you can put your finger right on that sound. Mm-hmm. Do you have anything from Well, well before I was going to say you yeah. know what's interesting also about Nothing's, Nothing's Gonna Stop Us Now is that it was um, also written co-written by Diane Warren. Diane Warren. And I think that's just I mean it's a duh obviously everyone knows her but mm-hmm. you know especially when we're talking about movie soundtracks how many anthemic you know thematic huge film songs yeah. you know come from Diane Warren the first thing I can think of is I don't want to miss a thing from Armageddon mm-hmm. but by Aerosmith but yeah. I mean there's nothing that, that's been um, um, My Heart Will Go On was that I, Diane Warren well I was going to say you know what My Heart Will Go On was not Diane Warren uh-huh. however you're right with the I don't want to miss a thing and that connection's really interesting because uh-huh. I don't know that My Heart Will Go On would necessarily be on my list except when I was on my way to the studio today <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about that song my brother actually mentioned it I don't know but um and you know it's a little bit um over the top at this point it's a little bit overplayed and overdone obviously people are you know can debate every which way how good or bad the song actually is but nobody can deny the you know magnitude and and just the the weight of when that song came out and just matching the you know the powerful you know just and like the rocket ship launch of that film where it just i mean i think i saw it in the theaters three or four times like a crazy person like mm-hmm. everyone else did um, <laughs> but then that song was just boom and and it's Celine and it's kind of funny because it's now her signature song yeah well um, Diane Warren did do other songs with Celine I think the, mm-hmm. from Up Close and Personal Because You Loved Me I think yeah. that was a Diane Warren yeah. song there's nothing I feel like Celine Dion is synonymous with Diane Warren it's true it's true <laughs> well and as is you know Cher and I mean just about any other large artist has gone through oh Diane gosh. Warren Lady Gaga just cut a track with Diane Warren um, to like 
what happens to you from from that new movie about uh, college campus rape. Mm. You know what I mean? So I mean, she's really she has spanned the generations. Yeah. Um, but I mean, she comes from a Brill building, like 1960s sort of doo wop ideal love conquers all type of songwriting. You know, place that. Do you have any other songs from that era, like? The 60s. Well, you know, yeah, you know, I was just thinking about the 60s. It's a little bit of a different vibe, but I, I'm pretty sure this was also the 60s. But I wanted to talk about Under the Boardwalk. Oh, yeah, 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 okay. Oh, the sun beats down and burns the tar up on the roof. And your shoes get so hot, you wish you're tired. So Under the Boardwalk um, was, you know, originally recorded by the Drifters, uh, yes, 1964, mm-hmm. um, and it was uh, number four on the Billboard Hot 100, and basically it's been covered a million times since then. We've heard it from the Beach Boys, um, you know, uh, it's been just all over the place. Um, but the one that, you know, is near and dear to my heart is the Bette Midler version that opens the movie Beaches. Totally. Um, what's interesting is that for some reason, um, I don't really know exactly what the how this transpired, but um, if people remember the movie Beaches, it starts off with this little um, Latin rhythm in the beginning, whatever. Yeah, that intro, um, that little intro. And I guess the song um, it had been had had some success being translated into Spanish after oh. the Drifters released it. So that was sort of where that was pulling from. A nod to it wasn't. It. Yeah, it was a nod to that. It wasn't just original to. Uh, to beaches, I believe. Um, but, you know, what's so great, first of all, I think that is, you know, other than The Rose, which is amazing and not on the list either, but could be. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but but Beaches is, I feel like, Bette Midler's real moment in the spotlight. I feel like she's always wanted to be the ingenue. She's always wanted to be, like, the, the lead who sort of is, you know, the... The pretty lead. Yeah. And I think she always felt different. And so this is the sort of closest she got to really capturing all of her talent and packaging it in one, you know, a little over-emotional um, <laughs> melodramatic <laughs> package. Um, but the music from that, uh, you know, movie is just insane. I remember, you know, I think we wore out that cassette tape when I was a kid. I mean, it was on constantly. And my parents had... Um, a condo in Ocean City, Maryland. And what was so great is I remember every time, I mean, we probably listened to the tape, you know, traveling and the car ride all the way there. But I remember every time I'd get to the condo, I would go, we had a little stereo on the shelf and I would go and put the tape in. And, um, and uh, when Wind Beneath My Wings would come on, I would run around this condo, flapping my arms up and down, <laughs> singing Wind Beneath My Wings, just like a little gay four-year-old should. Well, that song was gigantic. Which I one? Mean, Wind Beneath My Wings. Yeah. Well, you know what's interesting? That was, you know, obviously the, the song of the movie and has become what everyone knows. But in all the promos for Beaches, you know, they, they focus on Under the Boardwalk yeah. um, as the real, like, you know, theme of, like, the, the setting of the tone. Totally. Well, you know, the, the scene... The, under the boardwalk sort of beachy scene that I remember from that movie is when uh, the young the, the Bette Midler character played C.C. by C.C. Bloom <laughs> played by Mayim Bialik is that how you say Mayim Bialik yeah, yeah B- Blossom yeah. I mean like that was hilarious for me I'm like oh my god redheaded Blossom what is going on here it was like a, an 80s nostalgia explosion at that point yeah I mean <laughs> that that part is amazing there's so many great little moments of that film where um, you can you can see people just acting nuts. And you know who else is in that? Um, oh, my God. His name, his actual name is escaping me. But Kevin McAllister, dad from Home Alone. Um, oh. What is his name? Oh, my oh, God. That's hilarious. I know hilarious. who you're talking about, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But And Barbara Hershey is in it, too. Of course. And Barbara's the star. Also, as a dancer, um, I don't think, Brendan, you, were, you weren't you were a competition dancer growing up. But I no, was a competition was dancer. I used to do star power and showbiz and all of, you know, all of these um, dance competitions growing up. And the Beaches soundtrack was inescapable. Really? All of the songs. At the competition. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. All the songs. I do. There's a song called, like, 
old industry or O industry. Yeah. Um, Which is so strange because it was so um, avant-garde and yeah, weird. And, and they always would come out wearing metallic costumes and do sort of wow. pseudo-modern dance to it. I mean, like, all of the songs from that, you'd see little tap numbers, you know. Uh, uh, and then, obviously, the For the Boys soundtrack, too. That was gigantic when, oh, she, yeah. when she did that. Everybody did competition dances, to, <laughs> you know, coming out in a little, you know, USO outfit, you know, to doing Bette Midler to the boys, For the yeah. Boys. Bette Midler was a huge, huge part of me being in competition dancer growing up all of her songs lyrical dances you know everything was interpreted through dance to well Bit and just to put a button on the beaches moment you mm-hmm. know the the one thing i think it's really you know just uh epitomizes sort of the power the emotional power of of soundtracks like this is um you know my brother and i i hope it's okay i'm sharing this but i'll talk to him later um <laughs> you know we listened to the soundtrack our whole lives growing up and um it was personal to our family for a lot of reasons it was sort of came out at a time where my parents were splitting and then also um, the rare condition that the Barbara Hershey character suffers from in the film. My uncle passed away from after having a heart transplant. So it like felt very personal and whatnot. But my brother, despite all the times he listened to it, had never actually seen the movie. And I remember one time he was going through a, you know, a rough spot. And this is when he was still living in San Francisco and we weren't you know getting to hang out all the time. And he needed to cry one night. And he just like really, you know those moments where you just need to have a good cry, but you kind of need something to prompt you or hit you. Yes, um, yeah. Yep. So he, I don't know, you know, he 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 got himself a copy and um and he put it on and he just the second the under the boardwalk music started playing he like lost it and for two and a half hours was a wreck. Yes, ma'am. So well, I've got a I've got a bit of a like a tearjerker crying song. Give it to on me. mine, okay, if, if you will. Okay, I, so I will. Tony Braxton has been my girl. I did. I was a hater at first, but. At, through the years, I have come to appreciate her songs and like the messages of her songs, usually written by Babyface. Mine is Let It Flow from Waiting to Exhale. Also from the Secrets album uh, mm-hmm. 1996, so we're mid-90s now. Um, it was the fifth single from a seven-single soundtrack. So, like, Waiting to Exhale was, like, the follow-ups mostly at, uh, to Whitney Houston's gigantic bodyguard soundtrack. Which let's go back to in a minute. Let's we stick go with back Waiting to, to Exhale. Right. Yeah. Waiting, Waiting to Exhale was gigantic. Yes. Um, I mean, everybody, all of the black female artists in music at the time were on the soundtrack. And you know, wasn't, Brandy, it the first, wasn't it the first mainstream film to have, you know, four black women leads? I mean, I think it was pretty a phenomenon at that point. I wouldn't I wouldn't doubt it. And yeah. yeah, it was, it was a, a remarkable and notable point in time that we are at. And Tony Braxton had just come off of this incredibly sec- successful debut, um, you know, reared by Babyface, and m- most notably, changed her hair from being, you know, short and sassy to, it's like, oh, she discovered extensions, like, overnight. <laughs> all of a sudden, she's got these wet ringlets, you know what I mean? Yeah. And all of a sudden, she goes from being sort of light, you know, light radio adult contemporary to, like, holy crap, like, sexy, saucy. Sex bomb. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And this Quiet Storm album Album, you know, secrets that from cover to cover, front to back, and also waiting to exhale, all of these really sensual female songs. And so this song, Let It Flow, um, it's it's about sort of like packing your things and, and taking what you got and and moving on to the next thing and just, you know, letting it go as the, as the lyrics say. And, yeah. and in the video, I believe, um, she's like riding on an iceberg. You know what I mean? It's like she's floating on her own little Mm -hmm. island and moving, you know, like moving along down the water. And this is one of those songs um, that I'll I'll stick on when, you know, when I've just had it. And it it, it gets me there. It definitely makes me cry. Yeah. Definitely. Do you you like Why did you? Yeah. Why did you not uh, connect with her at first? Well, you know, you, that the introduction that we get from a lot of artists tends to be really sort of like label manufactured. And we put our best foot forward and we go with sort of we go with what the surefire hits are going to be. And like, I don't know, it was just sort of like, oh, she does light radio. Tony Braxton, she you know, she she was a she started out as a backup singer or no, no, she did sessions right. for Anita Baker. Yeah. 
Um, and then they decided to to put her in the spotlight. What was so, the song that got that crossed you over? Was it this? Uh, well, I, I liked "Breathe Again" and mm-hmm. I liked "You Mean the World to Me." Mm-hmm. Um, the song that really crossed was was when she came out with "You're Making Me High." Oh my gosh! Do you remember "You're Making Me High"? Yes, and that, that video with the that video. wig, that and the moment, elevator kept opening with the different with the hotter guy every uh-huh. time, and they're throwing stuff at him, oh my and they want to do the hell out of him. And man, so did I. I mean, it was like <laughs> yeah. So it was like oh okay, Tony, I get, the, I see you like. Like, and I'm sold. Also, do you remember how every person you knew was singing on Break My Heart? Mm-hmm. Karaoke. I know. Or little talent show. The afro and the, 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 the keyhole cutout <laughs> dress that she wore. And the funny But do you remember the video with Tyson? I do. I do. And he died tragically in a motorcycle crash. Uh, and it's like. If I just would... remember the shirt clinging to his pecs. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I have feelings about motorcycles and things like that. Um, going back to Wayne to Exhale, did you, did you see the movie? Um, I did a long okay. time ago. Yeah. yeah, it was great. It was very emotional. I love. Did you know it was directed by Forrest Whitaker? No, Isn't that I didn't. Nuts? Isn't yeah. he in it too? He plays. Doesn't he play yeah. one of the love interests yeah. in it? Yeah, yeah. But yeah I just, and I isn't that it crazy? Was, yeah, it is totally crazy. I I've, I was in love with his character in the movie. I also was in love with uh, who was the the dream girl that was also in it. The um, Loretta Divine. Loretta Divine. She's I, she uh, is just divine. Every time she comes yeah. on screen, I'm oh like, my girl. Gosh, I know. I Talk am about someone who's underused. Too right. Why didn't I? I've seen her in a few TV shows. She was on Eli Stone, which I loved, a random little ABC show years ago. But um, I feel like she's always just in and out, but never has the moment. And you know who else? Honestly, just from this film, and then we can mosey along. But um, Angela Bassett. Angela I just Bassett. feel like I don't understand. I remember. I remember the you know what's love got to do with it moment, and then waiting to exhale. And there was just this time in the early '90s where I was like, oh, she's gonna, she is hitting. Like this yeah. is gonna happen. And Stella got a groove back, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden. She just sort of faded away. And now she's had a bit of a resurgence doing TV and whatnot. But I just, it always upset me. And I know it's silly because it's a superhero movie, but I just still can't get over the fact that she was not Storm, not Storm. in X-Men. Or somebody I mean, else being Storm. Yeah. yeah, but I feel like but Angela, Angela Bassett. Perfect. No, I know. I mean, and when she gets Ugh. to that place, when Angela Angela Bassett's thing is when she gets to that place where she's like gonna cry, and you, you get that lower lip thing yes. that she does, where it's like she smells something terrible. You know what I mean? And like she goes <laughs> and she did that. I mean, it was when she set his clothes on fire. The, yeah. the Mary J. Blige not gonna cry video was featured prominently. Her story, Angela Bassett's story, mm-hmm. um, it, it, from waiting to exhale. Uh, that is Angela Bassett's sort of like strong point. It's yeah. that point that 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 people hit where you're like, I've had it. <laughs> and she, yeah, absolutely. She she deserves an Oscar. In my mind, she is one of, if not the best, black female actress out there. I completely agree. I completely agree. So, anywho, let's stick with the Whitney for a second because, you know, going backwards, um, you had mentioned it earlier, the bodyguard is a moment we just got to honor and praise and all of that because it really changed the game, I think. Um, Yeah, so the song I want to put on the list is On Everyone. I'm Every Woman was actually the second single off the soundtrack. Everyone, you know, of course, was already um, just gaga about I Will Always Love You, which, of course, was written by my favorite Dolly Parton. Dolly Parton. Um, But Whitney took that song to a whole new level, that's Mm -hmm. for sure. I think every woman would say that. Um, But I'm Every Woman, I just, again, similar to how we started with You Don't Know Me, I feel like I'm Every Woman was the same sort of female empowerment. And clearly there's a theme about, you know, Brendan as a young boy. But I really love love these songs that were about coming into your own and and standing your ground and and really just uh you know doing your thing so that song i just thought was so great everybody was dancing to it we would you know dance to it in dance class you'd hear it out on the street you'd hear it on the radio it was everywhere um so what was cool is that single actually came out when i will always love you was still number one on the chart which i thought was really 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 cool um and then, obviously, too, it was this great homage to Shaka Khan. Totally. Um, and I love, you know, I love women sticking up for other women and carrying, you know, legacies and passing torches and all of that. Um, 
So I thought that was really great. What do you think about there the song? There was so much women yeah. energy. I just think of the video. Yeah. I mean, you, I mean, okay, so Whitney is pregnant with Bobby Christina. Right. She's got little girl Rest stances. Peace, right? I know. I, I mean, mean weird. Uh, yeah. So it, weird. The level of tragedy, it's just like exponential. Yeah. You can't even say, we need to have a Whitney episode. I of think course. it would be really fun to have a Whitney episode. I mean, episode. that's a no-brainer. Um, but yeah. But, you know, beyond like on the positive side, it was like this this video included. She's pregnant with Bobby Christina. There's little girls dancing in the video. She got TLC in the background. She's got Shaka, mm-hmm. who's a, th- this was her original song back from like, what was it, 1978? Yeah, I think um, about that. When she was still performing with Rufus. She's got Valerie Simpson in the video, who was one of the writers of the song. And she's got Martha Wash in the video. Right. Which is like. <laughs> because, you know, you have to have Mar- Martha Wash. Martha Wash was touching everything. Yeah. You know, yeah. we can talk about that more. Oh, yeah. But I mean, like, so it was the the ultimate, and TLC was in their heyday, you know, and the, the song is just, it's got that good CNC feel to it. Mm-hmm. They were they worked the production. They were working yeah. production on everything back in the day. They yeah. were doing Mariah Carey. Yep. They, were, they were really big with their CNC Music Factory project, which was utilizing Martha Wash and Selma Davis mm-hmm. and Freedom Williams, that whole lineup. There, and they, there was nobody that they weren't remixing for, so it made, it was a no brainer that they were going to choose a producer like them to yeah. do this track, and it and it melds beautifully. It gives it a nice like sort of '90s update from like exactly. a, a funk song. Exactly. Lo- I love so everything they do. The soundtrack, you know, was. Um, was you know phenomenal and just like a, a crazy success. But did you also realize it was Whitney's acting debut? No, I guess I didn't. Yeah, which is so awesome. I mean, when you think everyone just thinks of her towards the end of her life as such a sort of a, a mess who's mm-hmm. fallen apart. But and, and I'm sure there were you know not I'm sure we all know there were a lot of challenges along the way. But just to think about this woman with such a talent who also had such you know how many entertainers and musicians have we seen try and really achieve what she was able to do? She was able to you know take her success as a singer, transform it into this acting career, slam it down with like the you know the 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 soundtrack that the company did and then and and just take off into a whole new realm for herself i mean that's a huge 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 success and you can't do that without having incredible talent it's true it's true yeah no and her 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 pathos like everything that she drew th- from in her life was was just so apparent in the work that she did i'm I, I i didn't include it on my list but that song i believe in you and me that she does from the preacher's wife soundtrack yeah. the piano version of it not the pop version but the piano version it's mm-hmm. like that's one of those songs like like my be all end all mm-hmm. that's gonna go we'll, we'll talk more about it but that's gonna go on my Whitney mix for sure sure but yeah I mean no I mean she there was no denying that she was an amazing talent and, and of course the album won the Grammy and mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and it was great yeah yeah absolutely um, I want to switch gears a little bit and yep. get a little bit more light hearted let's do it okay so I mean uh, I'm every woman is not heavy no it's true <laughs> <laughs> it's but true go. it's light as a feather well I want to talk okay so when I was a little kid I love the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Hello. Oh, my God. <laughs> me too, me too, me too. Okay, and so what had happened is recently, like in about 1989, the Tim Burton's Batman had just come out. Mm-hmm. And we'd all – there was a new way of imagining superhero movies. Yep. And in sort of new sort of realism that we were getting. And darkness. With, and tar- darkness, like treatments of, mm-hmm. of superheroes. And so it just so happened that Ninja Turtles were in their heyday at that point. And I, I don't know. I resisted them like I do with a lot of popular things like, you know, The Simpsons and South Park for a long time until I – because I because I see myself as such an outsider and so used to not wanting to be, to be impervious to sort of outside influences and popular. But that's what was so cool about the Ninja Turtles right. is that they were outsiders. Well, right. And so, and my favorite one was always Donatello. Yes, Donatello. Who, who was like the brainy guy. Exactly, me And like too. the least sort of like, like the least sort of like punk boyish and like the most, yeah. And he used the, you know, the, the smart bow. one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So anyway, this movie comes out. I go to see it and I, I have the soundtrack. The soundtrack came out and um, it, you got one in each color. There was an orange tape, a blue tape, a purple tape, and a red tape. I, I didn't know this, so I got the blue tape, but I should have gotten the purple tape. But yeah. anyway, there was a song. Fail. I know. <laughs> girl, I could not get it together. It was the second tape I owned after Forever Your Girl. Oh, really? Yeah, the second tape I owned. Wore it out. Yeah. Um, spin, I had this tape, too. My track yeah. is Spin That Wheel. Spin it. By High Tech 3. Come on. For real, legit, you feel it. I'm talking about the real deal. I'm going to make you feel. Yo, DJ, spin that wheel. Spin that wheel. Yo, DJ! Get up and party! AKA Technotronic. Yes, yeah, so... 
uh, no. Yad, wrong Kid, Yad Kid K is the rapper who appears. Okay. It's it's basically a reworking of of Technotronic. Okay. I, I, something tells me it was contractual or something like that in order to be. There's some new stuff always goes down when you have. Uh, an artist do a song on a soundtrack in order to get the artist, yada, yada, yada. But I wanted to mention Yakit K. Um, I don't believe that she's LGBT, but I always loved her um, androgyny, her sort of like gender borderline pushing um, appearance, her stature. I mean, she's always appearing with, you know, backwards hats and she's got a really boyish look about her. And I also love a, a thing that I love about a lot of rappers from this time. And this is one of the reasons why I like like Lisa Lopez mm-hmm. or like uh, Q-Tip. She's got like a really like kind of high, t- high tone, nasally voice and everything is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've <laughs> always loved that, you know, they came out with, they came out with um, Get Up Before the Night is Over. Uh-huh. They came out with Move This. What was the uh-huh. other one that was really that was really huge? They're, they're, oh um, no, I don't know. Their um, big hit. Um, pump up the jam. Oh, pump up the jam. Up the yes. Jam? This was a time when hip hop started appearing, like hip hop dance started yes. appearing, and you you got dance tracks with a, with a guest rapper. Um, High Tech 3, a.k.a. Technotronic, was a Belgian group, but you've got groups like AB Logic. You've got the yeah. Netherlands group Two Unlimited. <laughs> of course. You know, you've got dance producers backed up by rappers, and it was a huge phenomenon. That was such a golden years. age of that, you know, in that And I loved it. Genre. It was such, like, get-up party music. Mm-hmm. And so this song, Spin That Wheel, it's like, you know, it's very in-your-face style rapping. There's, there's um... There's samples from like the the movie, like get up and party, and like, bring that beat back, and like all these, you know, all these things being shouted at you while you're, you know, spinning on your on your shell on your back, right? You know, breakdancing exactly. Ninja Turtle. So I was I was not impervious to that energy. It, you I know what's so it. funny is that I mean it, the you know anyone who was a who was a kid when we were and you sort of watched the progression of those Ninja Turtles movies, they sort of went from like sort of. Decent and mm-hmm. fun to, to 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 worse, you know. <laughs> um, it's but, true, but they I, did really cute tie-ins always. And as and as sort of campy and ridiculous as it is, it almost goes in like the showgirls category of mess. But do you remember in the sequel, the Vanilla Ice Ninja Rap? Yeah. Oh yeah. my god, you, you knew that, that was the big single from that one. But you you knew that it had kind of started to jump the shark. Yeah. As of that point. Yeah. I mean, it almost had right from moment one, beat one, but then it really got crazy. Yeah. Well, but it's I still good. loved it. Go ninja. <laughs> Go Ninja Go. <laughs> Do you have any other like nostalgic moments? Well, I mean, I want to stay in like the early 90s and talk about one of my favorite, favorite, favorites. And this sort of circles back to some other topics we were just on. But um, Just a Touch of Love. Yeah. But I um, loved it from Sister Act. So listen, Sister Act was my favorite movie as a kid. I mean, I was obsessed. I think I saw it probably, I mean, uh, probably a hundred times as a kid. Literally, it was just the VHS was on a loop at my house. Um, and I think my parents thought I was really, you know, just off for <laughs> being obsessed with this movie. Um, but I loved Whoopi Goldberg. I loved that it was about, you know, friendship and about camaraderie and about supporting each other and about, you know, opening minds and about, you know, authenticity. It wasn't a love story. No. And I love a love story, but mm-hmm. I just, I think what was really so cool to me was it was, again, about a sisterhood, yeah. literally a sisterhood. Yeah. And um, and Whoopi was in that moment where she was just amazing. You know, it was after, you know, winning her Oscar and, and all of that. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and so that movie was phenomenal. And Just a Touch of Love, obviously, we've already mentioned how CNC was just in everything in that moment. Mm-hmm. But you've got the great Zelma Davis vocals going on with this song. And in the film, I'm going to call it a film. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. The, piece, the piece of work, darling. In the film, this happens um, when all of the nuns tell Mother Superior, played by Maggie Smith, First Wives Club Connection. Bring it back. Um, <laughs> She's in everything. She's in everything. Um, but when the, all the nuns uh, tell Mother Superior that they do want to get out into the community and onto the street and actually re-engage because they've been walled off for so many years after Dolores Van Cartier um, (laughs) enters their world. So it's just great because it goes into a montage, which is one of my favorite elements of any movie is a montage. Mm -hmm. Then 
What's more is the montage is a transformation. So they're, you know, removing barbed wire fencing and scrubbing the outside of the cathedral and talking with neighbors. And there's this whole thing going on. They're performing in the in the church and their music is changing into, you know, more uh, accessible contemporary, you know, styles. And and by the end of it, it's it's this big like ta-da moment. And it's all sort of, uh, you know, told through CNC Music Factory, <laughs> <laughs> which is just amazing. Brandon, if I do a montage, Montage of my life. Can we get? Can we get a CNC Music Factory? Track we'll call to go Zelma. Over? I think we'll she's call available. Zelma. Listen, I used to talk to. I'm not even lying. I used to talk to Zelma Davis on MySpace. Stop. I'm not even joking. Stop. We might be able to make a connection. I think we could if she was reaching out on MySpace. She recently did something. Um, do you remember? Do you remember? Um, what was the club Splash? She oh, yeah. did a show with Amber at Splash. I mean. So how long ago was that? Um, God, I want to say like 2009. Okay, she came out with a Pride single and she shared it with me online. She was like, "Oh, you need to check this out." And I'm doing the show with Amber. It's going to be amazing. Um, and I think I wasn't able to make it. Oh no! <laughs> but I love me some Zelma Davis. And so Zelma Davis was the star of the video. This was the fourth, the fourth single from CNC Music yes. Factory's debut album, as well as being on the soundtrack. Yep. Um, do you remember that other song, "My If My Sister's in Trouble"? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, this was the fourth single from. Do I remember? <laughs> <laughs> Who do you think I am? Um, um, did you like Sister Act? I love Sister Act. I love Kathy in in this um, montage watching Kath- Kathy Najimy. Najimy. Uh, Najimy. I'm sorry. See, I'm terrible. You're yeah. going to always have to correct That's me on okay. this. Um, doing her like breakdance oh moves my gosh. to it. Okay. Moments of Sister Act that I love. First of all, everything that comes out of Maggie. Boogie woogie on the piano. Everything <laughs> that comes out of her mouth. Um, I love the lounge. Again, a dancer competition dancer moment. The lounge medley at the beginning. Oh, Everybody to dances to that. That to lounge that. medley at the beginning is what really hooked me right from moment Did one. Did you know that that's Jennifer Lewis with her? Uh, yes. I didn't know that. Come on. I know. Everything <laughs> Did went I over know? my head, Brendan. I received everything. Yeah. But I didn't know what to make yeah. of it until I received the vocab later on. Of course. On. So sure. it was Jennifer Lewis. Yeah. But my favorite part is... In those tight is, gold lame little ensembles. The little... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Heat wave. Mm-hmm. Good night, everybody. Heat wave. You don't, <laughs> you don't give, give a shit. shit. Heat wave. <laughs> get, get the, the hell, hell out, out of here. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Everything, everything. God, it's so and good. then the purple fur that, oh. the, that the mobster gives her. Purple mink. The purple mink that, yeah. I mean, like, I don't know if I it's would give that up. purple mink, Dolores. <laughs> <laughs> everything. That movie was great. And yeah, bringing the kids off the streets. I um, love how they come in and they're sort of, and it's funny, I'm, I was watching this video the other day. They're coming off the streets and they're wearing that sort of early 90s, almost grunge mm-hmm. look. And I'm like, oh, wow, kids are doing that again today. Yeah. With the, with the plaids oh, and the yeah. tights. Oh, yeah, it's cycled right back around. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, th- what was cool about this track is when CNC released it as a um, as a single, they redid the video to a remix. They took it down a key. Mm-hmm. Have you seen the video? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's Zelma Davis standing on this really tall staircase, and there's stuff written on the walls like CNC Music Factory, Just a Touch of Love, and it's written in the same font as the the walls of the what is it, Cordova Milk Bar from um, from. Clockwork Orange. Oh, it's that same right, font. right, right, and right. I'm wondering, okay, why? I, I, I wonder why. What made them choose that? They had a Clockwork Orange moment for CNC. But I don't know. But um, but they <laughs> somebody's did, crazy idea. They did do a little remix, which you know me. I always yeah. appreciate a remix. Yeah. And I I also appreciate that the fact that they're allowing um, Zelma Davis to have a legitimacy moment because she caught such flack for lip syncing. Yep. The you know the lyrics of "I'm um, gonna make you sweat" their debut single, which was sung by Martha Wash and. Everybody thought that CNC Music Factory was having a Melly Vanelli moment. I know. But they really weren't. They just took another band member. I mean, still was it's wrong. It's so bad. Yeah. And there was so the, so we'll get all, to all this later, but there was a lawsuit. You know, they had a falling out, but then they got back together. And on their follow-up album in 1994, they brought Martha Wash front and center. And Martha yeah. and Zelma sang together. And yeah. the world embraced them. Well, I mean, I'm sure it wasn't like Zelma's uh, request to like bump Martha. No. And I, well, <laughs> this is why I always felt a kinship with Zelma is because, she, you know, listen. And she was gorgeous, but she was flawlessly talented. Mm-hmm. She still is flawlessly talented. Yeah. Um, and she it, she took a little bit of heat for that. And it's yeah. like, no, this girl, she's amazing. She's no, amazing. Those are sisters sticking together, just like the movie. And yeah. the uh, one thing I want to say about it, that, um, two things about Sister Act. Obviously, the sequel is beloved by many people. It's a little bit, you know, um, it's a little ridiculous being in the school and everything. But we got to see the debut of Lauren Hill. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> and a really good soundtrack from that movie too, honestly. Totally. There's some really great music. Um, but the only other thing I wanted to say, oh, and a great opening medley as well, which I could recite for you right here, right now, <laughs> but we won't. Um, but then the second thing I wanted to say is just another, you know, we were talking about First Wives Club before and, you know, transferring into a stage show because so many of these movies that have great soundtracks, the natural thing is let's put them on stage. So Sister Act had a similar moment and it really, I think, is a really, really bad uh, interpretation and I'm a little passionate about it because I love the movie so much. But one of the things that I think makes the show such a frankly a failure is that they tried to force this love story between the lead character and the detective who in the movie they, there was no romance there it wasn't about that that's not what the spirit of the film is about it's called sister act it's true. and um and they tried to do that and the whole thing was a wash they so, do try to you know. yeah well you know there's another movie to tv show uh song that's here yeah i want to get to it yeah. it's clueless but let's i want to take mention real quick before we go yeah. to that Keep it coming from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Boom. Keep it Another CNC track. Can we just take a pause for how um, similar some of our tastes are? <laughs> and, and, and maybe just how, you know, we already said how uh, powerful CNC was at that moment in time, but it's like everything, everything. has a connection. Sorry to about CNC. it. I don't know. I know. So this this is a sort of de facto CNC Music Factory, uh, you know, mix. But anyway, Keep It Coming uh, wasn't featuring either of those two lead vocalists. It was featuring Deborah Cooper. But um, you're getting the same vibe. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the opening number to Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the cheerleading routine. I mean, I don't have a whole lot to say about it except for the fact that this is what got me into acrobatics. The, again, another montage. Really? Another montage set yeah. to the Divinal song, Ain't Gonna Eat Up My Heart Anymore, of Christy Swanson, who arguably, I mean, a lot of people like Sarah Michelle, she was my Buffy because I never got into the show. I know that you did really big, and we can well, talk we'll talk about, about that in two seconds. Yeah, but for me, that was my experiencing of of Buffy as being this Chrissy Swanson, a little bit more of a bitch. Where is Chrissy Lay? I, I, girl, I don't even know. The yeah. last thing I remember is she was burning Charlie Sheen's face with the, in the chase with the, the cigarette lighter. <laughs> That's the last thing I remember her doing. Right? No, I know. But her doing like learning how to do backflips and like somersaulting and like you know uh, uh, Jonathan Sutherland. Uh, helping her discover. Don, I'm sorry, Donald. You're right. Thank you. See, this is yeah. why I'm helping you out, girl. No, girl, you're my legitimacy. <laughs> um, you know, she's beating up Pee Wee Herman and David Arquette as as you know, like comedic vampires. Uh-huh. I was I was somersaulting and backflipping around my backyard, throwing croquet stakes at stuff because I wanted to. Are be you serious? Buffy slash oh Catwoman, and we'll get to that in a second. Yeah, but like well, go. the thing, you know, I have nothing against Christy Swanson, and I think that you know Sarah Michelle did. A, I think. A, a great job in a different, you know, iteration. I think the one thing that's hard about that movie, because I I do agree there's a camp value that's really fun, but when you sort of like know what the creator's intentions were, what Joss Whedon's intentions were, it was a typical Hollywood scenario where, you know, they took his idea, brought in new writers, shifted everything, and created something that I think is still interesting. But when you get to see the TV show, and I know you didn't really watch it, but it's a brilliant series. Huge um, LGBT following, too. Huge LGBT following. And, um, and it's Willow. just... Was, extremely was well lesbian, done. Right? Willow ended up being a lesbian on the show and the whole thing is just brilliant metaphors about adolescence and growing up and applying that to, you know, a high school setting with monsters and um, and vampires. Yeah. And, it, and it really paved the way now for some fantasy genre work happening that I think without the success of Buffy, um, you know, wouldn't be quite what it is today. Well, I will say that what really resonated with me was the, the quips, the one-liners, you know what I mean? The, the, yeah. the, those moments where she's like popping her gum and like, oh, I'm a member of the Harry Mark Mole Club. <laughs> oh, I totally messed that one-liner up. But yeah, cool. you know, like saying, saying But those are the like kinds that. of elements that did cross into, that was, that was definitely the tone that I do think carried forth between the film and the and the TV series. So in that vein, Clueless. Clueless. Start talking to me about Clueless. Girl. Well, how can we like not all just, you know, appreciate the classic that is Clueless, the modern classic? Um, I wanted to throw on the list Supermodel by Jill Sylvia.
that wasn't that the opening credits? No, no? The, that was Kids in America. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, so no, Supermodel was a quick little hit. Another montage scene. This is when um, Cher and Dion are um, transforming Ty. Uh, you know, played by the late. Brittany Murphy, um, from her sort of, you know, grungy pothead, um, you know, uh, not dolled up uh, persona. Persona, thank you. Personage. Personage. Um, into, <laughs> into, you know, the sort of LA bombshell. <laughs> bombshell. bombshell. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that she uh, felt like she needed to be, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, another great montage moment. Everyone remembers the bathtub rinsing out the hair dye. She whips it back. <laughs> the whole thing. Um, but what's, it, what's so fun, I think, is that, you know, Clueless really did a, such a great job of capturing what was current in the mid-90s and what was happening with adolescents and was able to take, you know, the story of Emma and apply it in a modern way. And Amy Eckerling wrote and directed that film. And, um... And it was this just really brilliant commentary about what was happening and, um, and and what kids go through. And then, you know, the song Supermodel is hilarious. I mean, I think there's probably some, you know, less um, aware people who might take it literally. But Jill has her whole career is she's very brilliant. Mm-hmm. And um, her whole career is about commentary. And uh, she wrote, you know, this song Supermodel. And, um, you know, it's all about just sort of making fun of, you know, the expectations of holding yourself to these ridiculous standards and, and trying to be something that's really empty. Um, yeah. Not that, and look, I don't think supermodels are empty. I love a supermodel. But the idea of, you know, trying to push people into like, you know, starving themselves and and, and being superficial. Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> we arrived at it at exactly the same time. Right. Um, Yeah, no, I think uh, just to rewind just a little Mm -hmm. bit to reiterate that it's it's sort of reimagining of the story Emma Mm -hmm. by Jane Austen. Mm -hmm. I didn't always know this. Well, I don't think, look, I mean, for me, I I mean, it came out when I was, you know, uh, just becoming a teenager. So I don't think I knew when I saw the film either. I think I probably became aware years later. Yeah, totally. And then what you were saying about Jill Sebule, her commentary, that she came out with the original I Kissed a Girl. That, an, yes. a, a gigantic LGBT moment. Different song, though. Yeah, but same, But same kind of idea. That was sort of like what she was, the the, the narrative that she was working with mm-hmm. at that time. So she was sort of, she was a, is she LGBT? Is she, is she a lesbian? Jill? Um, I'm not totally sure. We should have Kiki go check that out. We should. He can fact check us. But I do love Jill Sabule. I do love, I mean, Clueless. I, I'm Amber. Even though I don't want to be, I'm Amber. What does that like, mean? Well, she always just winds up, she tries really, really hard and always winds up sort of like, you know, looking a little bit like the fool. <laughs> Hilarious. And I don't know. I just, I well, at the same time, I also just love her like snippy. Like, you know, I've always said to you, like, we're going to Melrose. Oh, yeah. The little, <laughs> the little things that she says, you know, um, just always crack me the hell up how ridiculous she is. And I, I kind of love that. I love how they made her like that. Oh, Julie Brown's in the movie, too. Yeah. Julie Brown, um, Stacey Dash, Paul Rudd. Stacey like, Dash, we have to like wipe away, though. I know, I know. Especially recently. She's yeah. been kind of like an anti our team. She's a strange Fox News character these days. It's true. It's true. But Brittany Murphy, I mean, I love everything that I've seen her in, especially when she was in her brunette phase, you know, um, mm-hmm. Drop Dead Gorgeous, Girl Interrupted. She was that girl. And it was weird. It was really weird for me when we saw around like the 2000s, her make that transition from sort of a character comedy actress to all of a sudden now she's a blonde bombshell and she's like the lead in these movies. And it was like, Oh, I did. I kind of didn't want that to happen. Almost, did you feel that way? Yeah, I did. And you know, I, I there's some really interesting backstory, you know, to Brittany Murphy and what happened. I mean, there's still some controversy around her death and some intrigue and mystery. Um, mm-hmm. And it seems. Um, it, it seems really uh, odd, and I think that again, there were a lot of drivers there that you know maybe we are we all aren't fully aware of. Mm-hmm. Well, right on. Anyway, can we go uh, again with the tragedy and kind of keeping with that tragedy? Um, can we talk? Can I talk about Catwoman? Yes. And can I talk about okay? One of my favorite movies, also an early '90s movie, Batman Returns. The the only sort of pop single on that soundtrack, "Face to Face" by Susie <laughs> One
Alright, so previous to Batman Returns, the first Batman movie, the entire soundtrack was done by Prince. Um, and that, you know, garnered its own list of hits during its time. Yep. It was it was a blockbuster to end all blockbusters. This next one really found Tim Burton going in a really artsy direction. Um, it, it really kind of turned into what would ultimately become Tim Burton's sort of signature style. and sort of like gloom and doom around the holidays and sort of gothic architecture. Yeah. And sort of like S&M combined with like delicateness. And the character whose theme song face-to-face was is is Catwoman, Selena Kyles. She, in my mind, in the way that Tim Burton interpreted her, is sort of like every, like, sort of Americana's nightmare of a woman. A woman with unbridled and uncontrolled sexuality. Yes. You know, men can't control her. Who knows her power. Absolutely. And that, like, the danger that can happen with a woman that knows her power. Again, back to female empowerment. So she gets pushed, literally pushed out her window. She's a lowly secretary um, who knows too much for her own good and her boss I mean of all of the power exchange you know charge scenarios that can happen she you know she serves this guy coffee and fawns over him and pushes her out the window and she comes back from the freaking dead and that scene where she's drinking the milk yes. and like stuffing the, you know the the um, she screams and throws the milk at the in at, her apartment yeah in mm-hmm. the apartment at the answering machine and loses her mind so this song face to face is it, it occurs at the moment where Selena Kyle and um, Bruce Wayne are dancing together at the Max Shrek's uh, masquerade ball mm-hmm. and they've had a tryst together romantically they're heavily connected in their unmasked versions as much as they are in their masks versions. They're attracted to each other. Yes. And this is the moment where they realize who each of either each other is. Yeah. This is, oh my God. Like they recognize the 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 power and the energy. Absolutely. And 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 um Michelle Pfeiffer, who played Catwoman, who arguably is the Catwoman of our generation. For sure. Do you know what's so nuts? You know who was supposed to play at that part? Who? Annette Benning. Annette Benning, right. And she was well, she, she was, was pregnant. pregnant. Yeah. And I also heard really interesting, hilarious stories about how Sean Young went into like Tim Burton's office in a Catwoman costume, determined to get that role. Oh my gosh. Like, she's crazy to begin with. I love her. Wasn't there a moment where Madonna won that role too, I heard? I can imagine. But, you know, I'm kind of glad it wasn't Madonna. Oh, me too. No, Madonna. Michelle Pfeiffer was... The she did it the actress. hell up. Yeah. Well, and if Michelle Pfeiffer does this thing where she's like, she's on the verge of crying. Like, where she's got those glass pool, you know, steel well, eyes. Exactly. She's got the over, you know, oversized, not oversized, but the uh, the exaggerated, you know, eyes mm-hmm. with, um, you know, a full featured face. But then that's sort of almost a, a frailty to her body. It's mm-hmm. strong, but it's lean. And I mean, it was it was a perfect match for this. She, she was Catwoman for me in the moment where, you know, r- right before her death, death in the movie where she says I would love to live forever with you just like in a fairy tale and she's like but I just couldn't live with myself the the depth to that that she brought to that character arguably a two dimensional you know comic book character and and then you've got Susie and the Banshees giving the um, the musical track to her whole character I mean I was Catwoman like when that movie came out (laughs) and then like it's still a metaphor for who I am stealing from the rich giving to the poor playing by your own rules, you know, um, out of control, doing backflips in an alleyway somewhere. <laughs> it um, really is you. Yeah, and I mean, and this song, what was cool about this song, she did it with Danny Elfman, who was has been Tim Burton's longtime musical collaborator. Yep. Um, and I love how the pop song contains elements of the score and vice versa. And he did that also with with Prince, with Batman, with Scandalous, the love, the love theme from the first movie. But sort of like Tim Burton contributing eerie sort of xylophone tinkles and things like that to the song and the melody of the song being you know being referenced to in the music mm-hmm. so I love that I love that song it's a little bit of like a one-off and a sort of left field type of thing yeah but yeah I, and I love Susie Sue I mean she's flawless she's dark and dramatic and gothic and what else did they do um, well, there's a song Peekaboo. Have you ever heard of that song Peekaboo? Peekaboo. They're really oh. sort of like 80s new wave, but at the same time goth. And, um, you know, she was she was known for a really severe sort of heavily eyelinered appearance, really severe pale red lips and and looks a lot like Catwoman. In, yeah. You know, the way that they did her in that movie. Yeah. So, I mean, 
So what's next? Well, for- I mean, I think, look, we're, we're unfortunately getting close on time. I think I want to do one more, and it's a little bit of a, an abrupt shift, but I think we'd be remiss not to include it. And there's so many I want to talk about, but this I feel like we've got to talk about, which is um, Traveling Through by Dolly Parton from the film Trans America. Yeah. Like the poor wayfaring stranger that they speak about in song. I'm just a weary pilgrim trying to find my own way home. Oh, sweet Jesus, if you're out there, keep me ever close to you as I'm traveling, 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 as I'm traveling through. Another Dolly Parton song. So another Dolly Parton song. We referenced I Will Always Love You earlier. This song was just stunning. And for those who didn't see the film, it's really a must-see. You should watch it. Um, Felicity Huffman plays the the lead character. And uh, she is a transgender woman who is... um, at the, I, I believe it's she's just about to have um, gender reassignment surgery, but she's been presenting and taking hormones um, for some time. And she gets a call that um, she she gets a call from a from a teenager, a late teenager, uh, and basically the teenager says, "Hey, you're my dad." Um, and all of a sudden, this transgender woman has to, you know, come to grips with the fact that uh, she has a, a son that she never knew about and that she is also a dad and sort of, you know, trying to cope with the the the, the gender, you know, uh, confrontation of trying to become the woman that you are and also, you know, needing to take responsibility for – not take responsibility, but to um, – play this other figure for, you know, this child who is looking for parental connection. So it's just a really touching, beautiful film. And Dolly Parton, um, who I think is one of the greatest American songwriters we have to tell these kinds of um, sentimental and uh, deeply emotional stories, um, wrote this very, you know, deceptively simple journey song called Traveling Through. Um, But it really um, just evokes all of the right kinds of... um, feelings about, you know, really like taking a a long road and a long path to get to where you need to go and being sort of okay and accepting um, the struggles that you'll face along the way. And it's just a gorgeous song. Um, Do you know it? Yeah, absolutely. Well, like what you were saying about, I feel like, you know, country and folk music really lends itself to telling telling stories like this in a really simple and universal way that we can all sort of understand. And I feel like the um, the character that Dolly Parton sort of portrays herself as, you know, with her performance persona is sort of, you know, she's she's based it, she said, off the, the town hooker. She's based it off of somebody that's sort of ostracized and sort of living yeah. a sort of an outsider life. But she's been, but Dolly's been able to see the good in them. And, you know, all of the makeup and the hair and all of the adornments that she has, there's a, there's a beauty and a light inside all of that. Well, you know, what's so funny, just connecting it to Catwoman we were just talking about. It's a little bit of a hilarious connection, but I think they're both sort of different, um, you know, examples of women owning their their power in these different kinds of ways. And sort of you have this like Catwoman, which is epitomizing sort of people's fears around that. And you have like a Dolly Parton who's able to sort of find a way um, to like really own and be herself um, and without any apologies either. Yeah, well, and it's beautiful that she's got like a sense of humor about herself. Mm -hmm. And so it's like everything about her you just want to listen to her. You want to you want to listen to what she has to say. She's like your best friend that's never going to judge you. She's been around the world. She's she's seen it and she's got wisdom and experience to draw from. And so it's like who better than to sing a song like this? The queen of non-judgmentalism. Yeah, and she, I mean, she's the ultimate ally that we have without ever really coming out and saying, "I love gay people." You know what I mean? Like she kind ha- of will. Has she really? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, she'll 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 say pretty But it's not in a it's not in a jabbing or a like a like a well, that's a what's amazing. She exists in this, you know. Frankly, when we talk about culture wars and whatnot, she exists um, in this country landscape that appeals to the South, and she's able to retain the heart and soul of 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 those um, kinds of people, while also not, you know, engaging in the kind of, you know. Um, uh, black and white judgmental. Black and white judgmental sort of uh, hate propagating kinds of, you know, rhetoric and language. Mm-hmm. So she's able to be all inclusive and nobody's upset about it somehow, yeah. which is she, really 
She comes from a place of love. Yeah, that you can tell. And and so in two thousand, you know, this this movie came out in two thousand six. You know, just remembering where we were at that moment, mm-hmm. it was a huge moment in um, you know the queer civil rights story. Um, you know, you had a lot of attacks going on during, frankly, you know, the George W. Bush administration on um, across the country, throughout state houses and in the federal government on gay and trans people. And so for a movie like this to come out at that moment, and for someone like Dolly Parton to sign on. To to write a signature track, it really is an endorsement of letting people be who they are. Um, it's just I thought it was phenomenal, and you know it, it was nominated for the Oscar, and it lost to um, "It's Hard Out Here for a Pimp" from Hustle and Flow, and you know <laughs> it was such a hard moment for me because. I thought that that film was really important and I thought that that, you know, that song, um, you know, getting the kind of recognition from, you know, the Academy yeah. was really, really important. And yet I just felt like, oh, this was Dolly's moment and this song was so important. And I just it was it was kind of a down for me. Well, you know, we heard it and, you know, whether or not it won the Oscar or the Golden Globe or everything that it was nominated for that year, I still think that. You know, the LGBT and the, the, the trans community has risen significantly since then. I mean, if oh you my look gosh. at, I mean, all of the people now that, I mean, in 2005, I don't think I could have named for you two or three um, trans people that were in the mainstream pop culture. Pop culture. Yeah. Right. And now it's part of the conversation. I mean, now. Big time. Yeah, absolutely. So whether or not it got the, you know, the badge that it deserved. Oh, it paved the way. It's great to know that, like, she helped start the conversation. And uh, also, I just want to mention an amazing performance by Felicity Huffman. Yes. Um, the movie was produced by Bill H. Macy, William H. Macy, who mm-hmm. is her husband. Um, yep. And it was also one of the... Um, it was a good performance from Elizabeth Pena too. I just wanted she played the therapist in yeah. the movie. She was one of my favorite actresses. I, I, the movie that I remember her from the most was Batteries Not Included. Mm-hmm. Elizabeth Pena. She passed away. She had cirrhosis of the liver from alcoholism oh. recently. But I I loved the, everything. Every time she would appear in a movie, it was always just perfect. The, the energy that she brought. Yeah. And and talking about. Um, Felicity Huffman's performance as a woman playing a man transitioning into a woman, mm-hmm. a woman having to relearn her own femininity. Yeah. There's a lot. So there's a lot of controversy about like not in this day and age in, about non-trans people or non-gay people playing, playing trans parts. or p- playing mm-hmm. gay. But I think it's really important for us to be able to allow people from other walks of life to come into this world and experience it. I think it's important for sort of the ambassadorship, is that a word? You know, to, to allow it, people... Yes. And yeah. it's, look, it's a mixed It's a mixed scenario and I think people have to have open hearts and minds and know what the intentions are. We've talked about this before. Context is key. You have a show like Transparent that's, you know, huge right now. The lead, you know, character is is played by a you know cisgendered man mm-hmm. um, playing a trans woman, a transitioning woman. Um, but you know, but they've done a really good job, and maybe not right from the start, but pretty much right from the start of ensuring that there's other trans representation, both on you know in the writing staff and also playing other parts on the show. And, and look, the reality is, you know, entertainment is an industry, and it, and it has to make money, and sometimes that means you have to have a star, and so we have to give opportunities for queer people to build a career as open so they can become those kinds of stars. But when you have to finance a film and there aren't those stars that already exist, sometimes you need a strong ally mm-hmm. to come in and and, and speak and, and, and have the voice that, that our community needs. Yeah. Well, I'm thankful to everybody involved in that movie. That was a huge movie in my life. And I'm thankful to Dolly Parton. And I'm thankful for all of these songs. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I think all of these songs we've talked about just really, uh, you know, prove how much, you know, music can add to the equation and how much the marriage of movies and music can really um, just have the strongest of impacts on people's lives. Well said, Brendan. Thank you, darling. Let's close out this episode. It's been so great. This has been awesome. I think there's five million billion other movies that we could talk about and other soundtracks. And we'll do, and we'll do it. Too. We'll do a soundtracks part two in the in the great tradition of extending uh, franchises to parts three, four, five, six, seven. We'll the do sequel. the same. <laughs> All right. Till next time. Mwah. Mwah. 
If you like our show, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever podcasts are hot. And if you really like our show, we'd love a rating and a review. You can find us on Twitter at Back on Track Show, as well as Facebook, Instagram, and all of your favorite ways of time. <laughs> we love to hear from you. Don't forget to follow us on Spotify and check out all of our Mixa playlists. And if you're outraged that your favorite track didn't make the list, visit us at www.backontrackshow.com and let us have it. You know, we'll tell you what we think, honey. All right, we're done. Peace.